This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. The richest, most powerful place on earth. A fiction podcast. Tuman Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything. We have to get away from this place. Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp and die for Tuman Listen to all episodes of Tomb and Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candice Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey, Candice. Marco. Hello. Marco. Polo. I actually know where Jane is, and we're not in a pool. <laughs> yeah. We're talking <laughs> about Marco. <laughs> we're talking about Marco Polo because he is our topic today, and he's not only the namesake of that very famous pool game, but he's also an established author and traveler, and some even say a political advisor. Supposedly. That's right, and he was sort of like the original Indiana Jones. He, uh, he lived back when, um, Basically, Europe didn't know a whole lot about the world around it. And for point of reference, this is about the 13th and 14th centuries. And he grew up in Italy, in Venice specifically. And his father, Nicola, and his uncle, Maffeo, or Mafio, I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced, mm-hmm. M-A-F-F-E-O, um, they were travelers and traders. They were very, very shrewd businessmen, and they anticipated that there is this changing political climate in Constantinople that might enable them to get in on the gem trade, and so they hopped on board. And they were able to make a pretty good amount of money traveling back and forth along the Silk Road, which was a series of trade routes that connected merchants from Central Asia to Europe. That's right, and unfortunately, because his father was such a traveler, his father and his uncle, uh, they were gone for much of Marco Polo's life until he was uh, about a teen. Teenager, and uh, but when his father and uncle did come back, uh, they discovered that uh, his mother was dead, um, and but they decided to have Marco continue the family business in uh, in sorts. So um, he actually ended up con- uh, joining his father and uncle on their next trip back to China. And the trip took them in total about 24 or 25 years. Historians debate that point. Mm -hmm. But 17 of those years were spent in the court of Kublai Khan. And that was primarily the reason that they went back to China was because Kublai Khan had asked them to bring back Christian missionaries and holy oil that had been blessed by the Pope. And, of course... The Polo's obliged. I mean, how do you say no to Kublai Khan? That's right. Although they weren't totally successful in bringing back the uh, the religious men who were supposed to come back and explain and defend Christianity to Khan. Um, and uh, when they tried, the the uh, Pope actually assigned two friars to come with the Polo's. Um, and uh, 
pretty soon after the polo set out, the friars were like, forget it, I'm heading back, this is too much for us. Well, it's pretty intimidating, because if you think about who Kublai Khan was, he was mm-hmm. the Mongol leader, and you remember probably another famous Khan that we've talked about before, Genghis Khan, and these are people who essentially took over this part of China and established their own empire, and they were um, formerly nomads, and then they realized that if they wanted to have a successful empire, they were going to have to be rooted and stay in place and establish themselves as merchants and traders and craftsmen. And so that's exactly what they did. So they had this very wealthy establishment, but Kublai Khan was interested in learning more about Christianity and also just business skills from outsiders. That's true. And it was pretty fortunate, considering what you're saying about how important they were in their area, that they showed favor to the Polos. They were, you know, they they saw them as like, ooh, the special, special uh, Europeans are coming and, and we're going to favor you and you need to tell us about your culture and, and um uh, have us learn about everything. And they really liked Marco Polo, especially because he was young and he was bright and he was witty, and apparently he was really good at picking up languages, mm. and he just really appealed to Kublai Khan. And again, this is debatable, but he was either made a political advisor or some sort of courier or low-level government official by Kublai Khan, and he was given a golden passport, which meant that he could travel to the ends of China and back. That's right, and because of that, he was able to see all these things that no European had seen before. And just go to the ends of their of the um, of the empire there, and uh, that's why he was able to write about so many amazing things later on. So he spent, like we said, about seventeen years in Kublai Khan's court, and we know that as he and his uncle and father traveled from Venice back to China, they covered about twenty four thousand miles, and they would have passed through the Middle East mm-hmm. and Central Asia, and then through China. And supposedly, there were a lot of new goods that they discovered or that they saw for the first time along the way. That's right. And legend is, didn't he take back uh, pasta for the first time to introduce it to Italy? And yeah. A lot of people today think that, oh, you know, that originated in Italy. You know, they associate spaghetti with, with Italy. But... um but it was actually Mar- uh, Marco Polo who introduced it from China. Isn't that wild? Yeah. <laughs> so in addition to pasta, he saw porcelain and mm-hmm. silk and coal and his very first compass and also paper money. And paper money turned out to be a real biggie because later on in his memoirs, when people were debating whether he had actually seen all of the things that he said, right. um, they were asking, well, you know, you were in China. Where are the mentions of the Great Wall or of foot binding, that practice That's right, because he left those things out. Yeah, but he did mention paper money. And mm-hmm. later on, Europeans did see paper money and they realized, oh, well yeah. then, Marco told us that this <laughs> was coming and he was right. That's right. And even despite acquiring malaria or some other serious illness along the way, he was a hardy little trooper. And once he got to... Kublai Khan's court. He he was not restless per se, but he wasn't just a sedentary European who came over to soak in the culture. He was very active and communicating with the people and traveling the land and, and trying to not only discover what all was available out there, but also to keep the trade, the polos trade alive, that business. That's true. And they were pretty successful. Uh, they were able to get a lot of riches on the way. And like you said earlier, like he picked up on languages so well. Um, I read that uh, the Khan actually sent him on like fact-finding missions when he went off to the to the ends of the empire. And that must have been a cool life to just like, hey, find out this for me and this crazy fact. And he goes and he does it. That'd be pretty nice. I kind of like a position yeah. like that today. Um, but the thing is, after a while... There was some unrest that started brewing between the Mongols and the Chinese. 
and the Polos wanted to leave because they saw that things were about to get nasty. Yeah, not only that, but uh, Kublai Khan was getting kind of old. And once he died, the Polos, you know, they had been shown favor with, with the Kublai Khan. But once he uh, left, you know, they would not be secure of any uh, favor from the next empire. Definitely not. So they wanted to go ahead and get out of town, but Kublai Khan said no. Mm-hmm. And he was really insistent that they were going to stay. And, you know, what were they to do? They were outnumbered. It was three against all the Mongols. Yeah. But luckily, fortune smiled on them because a um, a Persian diplomat came over and said that uh, Khan's great nephew wanted a princess from the Mongol tribe mm-hmm. to marry. And so Khan agreed to let the Polos escort her back to Persia. So this was their ticket back to Italy afterwards. Yes. Okay. And once they got out of... Uh, China, they went ahead and went on home to Venice afterward. Yeah. I, I read one uh, place, I'm not sure if this is true, but actually as soon as they set foot on uh, on like Christian soil again, they actually got robbed. The Polos got robbed of the riches that they had spent, you know, 20 years acquiring in China. And that must have been terribly disappointing. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure, because they were representatives of that culture. Mm-hmm and um, bringing the ideals to the Mongols. But at least he carried with him what he saw. There you go. And here's where the story gets kind of fishy. And we've been saying, you know, words like supposedly and debatably. And the reason for that is because there are a lot of scholars and historians, both contemporary to Marco Polo and Mm -hmm. today, who debate the authenticity of his accounts. And we should mention that his accounts uh, were titled The Description of the World, or alternately titled The Travels of Marco Polo. And these were not slight books, or a slight book, rather. It was a pretty hefty tome. Mm -hmm. And Marco Polo didn't write it himself. That's right. He was actually imprisoned when he got back to Italy, which um, it happened because he got involved in a battle between the Venetians and the Genoese. And at this time, you know, before Italy was unified or and everything like that, uh, these were actually two republics and they were rivals at the time. So he was imprisoned by the Genoese. And while he was in prison, he actually met up with a, a popular writer of the time. He wrote romances. And um, so he would dictate, Polo would dictate his what he saw in China's travels. And the writer actually wrote it down for him. And the writer's name was Rusticello, mm-hmm. and he was a member of, I think, uh, the French court, and so he would have been writing to entertain nobles. And so okay. some people think that he embellished Marco Polo's stories, and um, they were translated first into French, and then into, I think, 150 different languages or disseminated disseminated to 150 different countries. And so you can imagine, it's almost like that game of telephone that you play when you're a child. You pass along a secret from one year to the next. By the time you get back to the person who originated the secret, it's been altered in some way. That's right. And there's no original manuscript for which to, like, refer back to. Exactly. And this is is even assuming that Rosticello actually um, wrote down faithfully everything that Polo said. It's possible because he was such a, you know, he was a writer of romances that he might have embellished things that Polo said. Precisely. And so by the time it got through with several um, different editors and translators, the story was not in its original form by any stretch. Mm -hmm. But then Marco Polo later on his deathbed, he was asked to retract the things that he had said. And he commented, I only told half of what I saw. That's right. He stuck to his story. He did. And not only that, he said, you know, if I had told you really what I had seen, you guys wouldn't have believed me any more than you believe what I did tell you. And, right. And that's true, because you think about the fact that China was such a mystery to the Europeans. Not only mm-hmm. was it far away, but they were isolated by treacherous terrain and mountains and oceans, and they had no idea what was going on 
over there except for the goods that they saw come down the Silk That's Road. That's true. And it should be noted, like, um, sort of to defend Polo, but also to explain maybe some inaccuracies in, in his story, was that he he didn't talk about everything he saw. Like, everything he wrote in the book was, weren't things that he personally saw, but he got secondhand descriptions of from people he met there. Um, and so if those were wrong, he wouldn't have known. But he told his, his side of the story what he knew. Right. And yeah. whether or not... It is true, all of the accounts. Right. It forever changed how Europe regarded China. Uh, it gave rise to the first maps that Europe made mm-hmm. of, of parts of Asia and of China, and even influenced later explorers like Christopher Columbus, who was trying to find the Orient based on the descriptions and coordinates that Marco Polo gave. And in yeah. 1492, I think we all know where he ended up. That's right. Not the Orient. <laughs> so, And one of my favorite parts of the Marco Polo story is a little bit... Um, juicy and tawdry and and pulpy, really, because we know from most accounts that he married a Venetian woman named Donata, and he had three daughters. But there are some accounts, or some legends, rather, that say he didn't marry uh, an Italian woman. He married Hmm. a woman that he met in Kublai Khan's court, actually, his daughter, Haldong. And supposedly, Haldong traveled with him and his uncle and father, and then returned with Marco to Venice. And she was ostracized by the people because she was so different. So she would lock herself in her room and sing, which was her only comfort. She had a beautiful singing voice. And then we know that Marco came to be arrested. And in this version of the story, he wasn't arrested for leading an uprising against the Genoese. Hmm. He was arrested because he'd married a non-Christian, and the Catholic Church had been eyeballing scandalous. him. Scandalous. That's an interesting story. It gets story. even more. Okay. Even more scandalous. Okay. Because then, supposedly, his sister Lucia lied to Haldong and said that he had died. And hmm. she was so upset that she set her clothes on fire and hurled herself into the canals. Wow. So if you're in Venice today, mm-hmm. um, you can hear her. Oh, this is a ghost singing. story there. It's a ghost okay, story. Yeah, yeah you can hear her singing by the yeah. canals. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to so, go there and check that out. Exactly that. <laughs> uh, I'm actually on my way right now, so we're going to have to cut this short. Oh, okay. The, the point being, <laughs> you know, we we don't know definitively whether or not Marco Polo's accounts were true, and we don't know definitively all the details of his biography. Yeah. So we've done a quick history of Marco Polo. And it only takes a click of a mouse to uh, go to our website and uh, learn about anything from Marco Polo, the history of China, or anything under the sun. Even Genghis Khan, the man who started all before before Kubla. That's and right. that's on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. The richest, most powerful place on earth. A fiction podcast. Doom and Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything. We have to get away from this place. Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp and die for Tuman Bay! Listen to all episodes of Tuman Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, my name is Sammy J. I have been working as a correspondent and interviewer since I was 13. And now at 17, I am so honored to be the youngest person to have her own podcast on iHeartRadio. It's called Let's Be Real with Sammy J. We'll have in-depth and unfiltered conversations with celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers. We'll cover topics we're curious about, topics my guests are passionate about, and topics many of us are just too afraid to talk about. 
I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.